Loaded Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable. He's not even realised he said it. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Loaded Sport. Tonight we have got a jam packed, action packed episode with plenty of sports that are going off around the world at the moment, including Formula One, golf, tennis. F1, we've got the latest from Kempi's Combat Corner, and of course, the usual kickoff, unbelievable football. So, joining me tonight, we have got for the first time in a while back to back weeks of the full squad, and we've got some updates and uh, some potential gimmick infringements after I talk about who was taking whose gimmicks. Um, so, uh, Kemp, we'll start with you, mate. We're not quite settled on what your what your gimmick is, but it seems like you're, you're leaning into the Adam camp with a new background. Talk us through it, mate. Well, Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic, you little delectable man wearing your retro England shirt, like it a lot. Although I didn't like that shirt when it was released, I've got a lot of time for it now as a retro shirt, I really have. But to be fair, in Adam's bear world... In, bear in mind that... The in Adam's world. Seen him yet, so well, that's fair worry. enough. But all I'm going to say about Adam is, is, in his world, that is the most recent England kit. So that's just that's all you need to know about him. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've took inspiration from uh, from the man with the mic's background. Um, I got my season ticket through today for Sheffield United, so we're really excited for that, and and I'm really in the mood. Last last night's friendly didn't really get me that much in the mood, but we'll come to that. Um, but yeah, I thought you know what for this episode and maybe for further episodes going forward, I thought I'd surround myself. With all things blades, including just there. Myself's plural. Are you, are you schizophrenic or? That's yeah. Well, yeah. I, I spill over into other seats and things. Um, but there's that shirt there. Is my first ever Sheffield United shirt ever. So really, really looking forward to uh, to presenting that to the world and the season upcoming. Very good, mate. Very good. And the man whose gimmick you have tried to infringe on, but. All is well and good because he is the headband man. Aggie, how are you, my friend? And talk us through your headband of choice this week. Well, I didn't even know I was supposed to be changing headband, but at the last minute, I've gone for an actual headband as opposed to an Alice band, and I've gone for a typical Chesterfield colours of going for blue. So uh, that's what I've gone for this time. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. Uh, we talked about uh, last week about the gimmicks. We, we spoke about Sam with the cap. You were going with the headband. Kemp was going to, hopefully towards the end of August, going into September, bring in the moustache and be the moustache man of the group. And I was going to go with the uh, different football shirts, or at least to a point anyway, before I can't afford um, to get any more on top of what I've already got. But uh, I've gone with United's new home shirt tonight. It's a nice little bit of kit. No name or number on the back. Um so, yeah, that's my choice for this week. And last but by no means least, there's a man that is joining me in the no background camp. We do seem to be split right down the middle when it comes to being on one side or the other. But he is still, as always, nearly 60 episodes in, still chasing that Under Armour deal. So, Sam, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How's yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, like we've said before, mate, we record this on a Thursday night. We know it's that gives you that little bit of blood pumping because it's almost the weekend. I've poured myself for rum. So oh, in about shit. an hour's time, might start getting a little bit leery and things might start falling off a cliff. But that's it won't be loaded spot without that, would it? 
Couldn't, of course not, of course not. I feel a bit left out. I don't know about you. All these uh, these fancy new backgrounds popping up here and there. It's, I just feel a bit uh, bit plain Jane here with my white background. That's all right, mate. Turn the background off, mate, and join me. But uh, don't don't buy into the peer pressure, mate. You do you. Fight the Unless, power. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. But uh, as I mentioned, we'll start off with football. Problem, and, problem uh, sorry, I'm oh, just going to interrupt. No, no go, go. Problem with you two getting the same background as us is that you're so plastic. Neither of you have got enough shirts to be able to do it. Fucking hell! We're on fire tonight, baby. Let's I've, go. I've got my derby tops up. Can't you tell? It's <laughs> blended, <laughs> blended into background. <laughs> Brilliant, amazing. So, Arsenal in this past week, many rumours, many stories, many reports, but now officially in their squads have Durian Timber. I think is his first name, so I might have got that wrong. It was taken on the number 12. Oh, that's and right, yeah. Thank God for that. I said it and I was like, I don't know, right. it didn't seem right to me. Yeah. Jurian Timber taking on the number 12 for Arsenal and Declan Rice bringing on his beloved 41 alongside the Arsenal badge. Kemp, I'm going to come to you first because you were the ardent against Arsenal, whatever you want to call it last season. You have an absolutely another it, no matter what. You've put your mortgage on Arsenal not finishing top two. You've put your name to them. No, not no, 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 no. Not having that for one second. I put my mortgage on them not finishing second. I okay. Okay. You're going to get out of this on a technicality, but they all count. Fuck you, bad, dude. I don't want to sell my house. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you should have thought about that before they went inside Timber and in Rice in a, in a week's period, but. You, you've spoken, you, know, you spoke a lot last season about the culture, the bottle jobs, the, all this kind of stuff. And one of my points at, at the time was that cultures change. You know, Arsenal in the 90s and early 2000s were this dominant team under Wenger. And then that changed when he left. United under Fergie were the team that they were. And that in the years has, has dropped off. And obviously Eric Ten Hag is, is looking to bring that in. Chelsea under Mourinho were dominant and cultures changed in terms of them going backwards. And also they weren't amazing before. So cultures changed to make them better. With these signings, is is this the kind of squad where you can see that culture changing and then being a real, real, real threat to the Premier League tackle? I'm talking last day of the season, still in with the shot, potentially even winning it. Where do these signings, alongside the already signed Kai Havertz, you know, what does this do for you in terms of your opinion of what Arsenal can achieve? Well, you mentioned their culture's changing. You're absolutely right. But cultures change for the better, for the positive, when you, you tend to find they'll get very, very close to the season before or close-ish the season before. And then the season after, that's when the culture will change and they'll be like, right, OK, we've been here before, we've done it. We didn't come out on top, unfortunately, on that occasion. But this time, we've got that experience. I do feel as though if Arsenal are going to be there or thereabouts this season, which the jury's still out for me, um, I think they've got a lot more experience in the ability to do that. You go all the way back to, you know, I think it's, what is it, 30 years of the Premier League this season or last season or whatever it was. Um, but you go all the way back to 1991-92. I wasn't even a twinkle in my mum or dad's eye. Um, but Manchester United finished second to Leeds, four points behind, and then the season after won the first ever Premier League and so on and so forth. You Why would you be it. a twinkle in your mum's eye? Because, I don't know. <laughs> And not a spunk in your dad's ball sack. The, 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 say, the, the saying is because you're like the spunk. It's the spunk in... Is like, it the spunk? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah well, well, you don't know my mum. You know. <laughs> old Herbie, ah, she's a, a lovely bloke. woman. He's a good bloke, he is, I heard. Brilliant, um, but, brilliant. But, but, but no, um, 
you see, you often see that that team that's going to go on and do it, they'll get close. And to be fair, like I say, you know, Arsenal did get fairly close, still, you know, finished five or six points off, but they have that experience and they've got that in the bank now. I think the concern for me is Timber is not the finished article. Um, Rice, in my opinion, is going to take a little bit of time to get up to speed. I think everybody thinks that Rice, because he's an England international, led West Ham to the Conference League, that he's going to walk into Arsenal and you know be the messiah. I was talking to Shafi about this. He was on our um, uh, listener lock-in last season, big Arsenal fan. And he's made a really good point in that when you're playing against West Ham, teams are going to press West Ham. And that gave Rice the opportunity to skip past a player, find a, a fairly easy pass to play and play it and get West Ham on the attack. And that's how sort of he contributed to that attacking threat. Um, at the back, I don't think any of his credentials can be questioned. The difference is with Arsenal, the way that Arsenal play, teams are going to sit off. They're going to sit back. It's going to be a low block. And Declan Rice is going to take a little bit of time, in my opinion, to get that passing range and that accuracy up to speed as to where it needs to be for him to have a real creative spark in this Arsenal team. So for me, I don't think Rice will have a massive impact. And I've said before, I think 65 million for Kai Havertz, to be honest with you, I don't even think I'd take £65 million and Kai Havertz. I think he's that bad a player. I think he's going to flop again like he did at Chelsea um, and it's going to be a bit of a struggle for him this season. So, yes, they are in a better position in terms of experience in where they've been last season, but the signings, while they are good on paper, Rice and Timber, especially really good signings, I don't quite think they're going to be pushing them completely over the edge when you've got other teams strengthening, such as United, such as City with Guardiola, et cetera, et cetera, and they're just going to be getting stronger. I agree with your point up to an extent uh, on the on the rice thing. However, is Candrad bags are experience now in England, uh, you know, playing a, playing a, a lesser side, having, used to having 70% possession. So I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue myself. It's, it's been part of a, a national side that, that does that. So I, I can't see that being much of an issue myself. I think the thing is, what you've got to look at there, though, is that he's got Bellingham next to him. And if Rice can't play that pass, if he can't unlock that defence, if he can't start that attacking move going, it's quite easy for him to just play a five-second, five-yard five ball to the left of him and, and Bellingham will just spray that for him. Yes, they've got Odegaard, but he kind of sits behind that striker and contributes more to the attack. So I hope I'm wrong because I do like Declan Rice and, and I would like to see Arsenal do well this season with the business they've done. But I just can't see it in the way that he has played at West Ham and then the role that he's going to have to do at Arsenal. And there has been some questions before on his goal contributions, whether they be assists or goals. Dawson, I don't know whether you agree, disagree. Um, I disagree with your point in terms of Jude, because it's not like he's been playing alongside Jude Bellingham for two, three years at the England level through their progression in the World Cup and, and the Euros. It, it, Jude only just officially really broke into the England squad as a full-time probably starter in the last World Cup. So I think more credit's deserved in terms of giving it to Declan Rice and, and what he can do because, yeah, it, it's not like he's been he's had Jude alongside him through his whole progression into the England squad. And, and being the integral player, that he, he has been a part of that England side, I, I think, for me. But um, for, for me, I, I think it's a great signing. Money aside, £105 million is, is what is now the most expensive player to leave one Prem club for another. But for me, Arsenal have to spend that kind of money. They have to make those kind of blockbuster signings. 
if they're going to improve on last season. We spoke so much about the the collapse and everything else, but again, we also said that start of the season, would Arsenal fans have taken second place, being back in the Champions League and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely 100%. But now it's about, right, what's the next step? The next step now is, realistically, going into that last day of the season, you've still got a chance at winning the Premier League title. Signings like um, Timber, who has got such amazing potential, he's got the ability to play centre-back and right-back as well. So joining players like Tamiyasu and, and Ben White, who have that bit of flexibility about them, that gives them the depth as well that we've mentioned that they've lacked in the past. Kai Havertz does tend to, or has tended to play a bit more of attacking role for Chelsea and Germany as well, but does have the ability to drop back a little bit. That gives them depth across a couple of positions. And then Declan Rice is really that anchor in the middle of the park that will even further allow you players like an Odegaard that you mentioned there, Camp, to really have that freedom. We, we saw how good he was last season, uh, you know, taking on the captain's armband, absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yeah, signing of Declan Rice not only improves the squad, but also allows the players around him to perform at a better level as well. So I think it's a fantastic signing and will take him to that next level. I'm yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying. To... Got, I was just just going to quickly say, Sam. I'm not saying that Rice is a bad signing. I'm not saying that at all. I just think it's going to take a little bit more time for him to get up to speed with the way Arsenal play in their system than people think. I do think Havertz is a fucking awful signing. But... I agree. I agree with that. I'm interested to see what Aggie thinks of this because obviously I think he um, he potentially made him his. Um... His... Arsenal biggest fan, isn't he? He's, he's the, he's the, they're his prem team. I'm right in thinking that. Well, I don't want to give any spoilers away for the prediction league, but you, you're you're fa- fancying him this year, aren't you? Yeah, I said it last year, and obviously I fell short, but I stood by him till the end. I think these signings have helped. I do have to agree with what you've all said about habits, though. I think that's a poor signing. I, I don't think he's really added much for them. I think for the. Can price I just of- ask, and Adam, I'll let you finish this first because you just started talking. But you're all saying about habits being a poor signing. Is that a poor signing in general, or are you taking into account the fee that's come with that? Like, do you not think that he will offer anything to that squad? No, I think I- the fee for me. I think the amount that they've paid for him and what they're going to get in return kind of goes hand in hand to make it a poor signing. I don't think he's proven enough at Chelsea to say that he's, he can handle it in the Premier League and. With Arsenal, I think with their attacking threat already, you know, they added Trossard halfway through last season. They've already got Martinelli and Saka. They've got Odegaard. I don't think it's really going to make much of a difference in their starting lineup, And I don't think he's going to feature as often as maybe he would have thought he would when he made the signing. Not sure about that. Not sure about I that. Think, I think it's I think it's an appalling signing regardless of fee. I think if Arsenal had signed him for 15 mil... I think it's a bad signing because it's it's wages and it's transfer budget that they could have spent elsewhere. Genuinely, in my opinion, Kai Havertz, from what he showed me over the past couple of years at Chelsea, he is literally nothing but nothing but a, 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 a place in the squad that you've just filled up with a player that's not going to contribute whatsoever. About Begos-esque player. <laughs> oh, I'm not quite sure about that. He's great, right, <laughs> He's what I've not told you is I've got Begos 27 on my back, but yeah. uh, you can't see it. But, uh, he is great, right, good. Realised last night that Joe Quigley is the uh, is the equivalent of Vout Vegos <laughs> for Chesterfield. He's absolutely unbelievable at link up play, but struggles to get the ball back in the in the back of the net. But uh, we'll get onto that later uh, during our, our town update. But yeah, that's Arsenal. We're we're only what two weeks away from the season starting, three weeks for the Premier League. But in two weeks' time, we will be doing our season long predictions from the Premier League down to the National League. So it will be interesting to see a who's picking Arsenal and b what difference. You lads and obviously myself will think that those signings will make. But for me personally, signing 
any team, even City, with how dominant they are, they sign Rice and Timber, and I think that's absolutely incredible. So, you know, credit to Arsenal for a investing that kind of money, but b for me in the right places. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's shaping up for me to be uh, quite an exciting Premier League season to come, but we'll get stuck into that more in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, one thing that wasn't originally on agenda, but I've added it last minute because it has been announced in the last sort of hour, 90 minutes or so, is the official announcement that Manchester United have a new number one keeper. Um, he will be wearing... Oh, nah, nah. What's his name? Is Onana. Andre Onana from Inter Milan. Previously played under Eric Ten Hag at Ajax. A very um, confident goalkeeper with his feet, which is... We, we spoke about it before, David Hay is probably his biggest weakness and one of the things that really held United back in terms of turning their style of football into the way that Eric Tang has wants them to play. So, uh, Onana is now officially aware the number 24, a number that he wore at both Inter Milan and Ajax. He's not taken on the number one shirt that is left by David Hayer. So, Sam, I'll start with you, mate. We've seen a few clips. We've obviously watched him in the Champions League, um, both for Inter Milan and as part of that semi-final Ajax squad who very nearly got to the final uh, before that very late Spurs comeback many years ago. So, what... Uh, actually, I don't even know if that was Onana in the net, so ignore me on that one. But uh, what do you think about that signing and, and what about his strengths are going to help, again, Manchester United move on to the next level? Yeah, it's a very good signing. Very, I'm a bit fuming that he's not took what number one, and I get that it's his number and he's he's carried it with him all the way, all this way. But something just it irks me that he's not gone for that number one shit. I think it's the traditionalist in me playing FIFA all them years, going from squad numbers first team one to eleven. I think that's where, that's where it comes from. But yeah, fantastic uh, football player with with his feet, which is always a quite a cliche thing to say when it's when it comes back to about footballers. But uh, no, I, I think it'll be a very good sign if he can replicate. I've got him made sort of like a Manuel Neuer style keeper where it's it's because it's constantly out, isn't? He's never in his eighteen yard box. He's always mopping up. He's out first, racing for striker for the ball. So I think if he can kind of pull that off without looking like a bit of a calamity, it's, I think it's going to be good news for United. Um, and they just they were just so slow in transitioning from goalkeeper to attack under David de Gea. And that's something that, I mean, we've seen, like, for example, even like a Jordan Pickford. I mean, his distribution second to none with his, you know, his throwing and his, his long passing. So just uh, just someone like that that can get the ball out quick and, and launch them counter-attacks. It, it starts from number one, doesn't it? Or number 24 or whatever it is. But I yeah. think it's a good signing. Yeah, absolutely. As a, as a Man United fan, I will point out as well, was right, O'Nana did start for Ajax as, as part of that semi-final squad in the Champions League. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, it, from, again, I've not watched them extensively. It is sort of, you know, you see compilation videos and and as being a part of that Interland squad as well. Uh, he has got one in him, as we say, he has got a bit of a mistake in him, but players develop. So again, it's, if he's going to have one in him sort of three or four times a season, so did David De Gea, I suppose. You know, we spoke many times about the, mis- the mistakes that he has and, and can make. So I think it's a great signing. It's clearly the kind of play that Eric Ten Hag wants. It's good to see that that kind of play has been bought because how can Ten Hag ever really produce what he wants to produce about the kind of plays that he wants? So, yeah, overall, really, really, really happy. And I'm excited to see him in a Man United kit. Uh, next season so yeah absolutely I think, buzzing I think with something like that you've got to weigh up the pros and cons with, with, as any manager haven't you um, like with David De Gea he had probably five clangers in him in a year but they made they made absolutely no 
nothing from him in terms of goals, I don't think. Whereas with, yeah. with Onana, if he does, you know, have three or four clangers in a season, but he's 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 the catalyst for eight goals, I think it's, you're kind of getting a bit, you know, a profit out of it almost. So I think I think that's one of the big decisions in probably promoting a goalkeeper like that. Yeah. Adam, what are your thoughts on a player like uh, Onani? I, I know you're, as we always say, a traditional man. Do you prefer your keeper to be planted to the line and only use his hands and only use his feet when it comes to a goal kick? Or, or are you happy with this sort of evolution that we're now seeing from goalkeepers who are about as comfortable with the ball at their feet as, as you know, a centre midfielder, perhaps, in terms of their distribution? Distribution. I like it. I just don't think there's enough goalkeepers that are good at it. I mean, I think United have got one of the very few that's still out there that is good at it. And I think it's a great signing for them to see the back of the hair and, and move on. I did a couple of years ago think they should have maybe looked towards keeping Henderson, but I think this is a much better option for them to allow them to play out from the back. He's very composed. He's got uh, good long-distance passing as well, so that'll help, especially with the speed that United have on the wing. So I think modern game football, I think he uh, fits the style of play that Ten Hag's trying to put in at United nicely. Absolutely. And Kem, you've got a bit of a soft spot for Manchester United, maybe not so anymore. Your Prem team with the return of Sheffield United to the top division, but... In terms of De Gea, for, for men, look, let's not, I, I don't want to sit here and say that De Gea was a bad Manchester United player. He wasn't. His shot stopping was phenomenal. He won player of the year multiple years since Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson left. So, you know, I just want to put that out there. But what do you think that moving on from De Gea, bringing in a player of uh, Onana's style, what does that mean for the short and, let's be honest, long-term future for Manchester United's style of play? Well, it's obviously what Eric Ten Hag wants, and ultimately, on the back of last season's, you know, performance after the season before that, and every season pretty much since Sir Alex left, um, I think at the minute what Eric Ten Hag wants, Eric Ten Hag should have. Um, you saw at the start of last season, I remember it quite vividly. I was in the pub, uh, went to the bar, and I saw that Brentford were leading Manchester United by four goals to nil, and I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. So, but you, you see there, and, and the goals that United conceded, and it was quite obvious that that was the way that Ten Hag wanted to play. He put his stamp on the team very, very early on and said, this is how I want to do it. We need to play out from the back, and we need to play this type of football, Ten Hag ball, as we call it. Um, and, and Andre Arnon is a perfect uh, perfect goalkeeper and, and player to do that, obviously. Got experience working with Ten Hag in the past. Eric Ten Hag knows him really well, so I'm, I'm sure he'll think he can slot into that position really well. But one thing I'll uh, I'll definitely do um, when watching Manchester United games next season is absolutely fucking shit myself because a few times in the Champions League final when Onana came out to sort of the edge of the box and started taking on players, I'm, you know, he, he scares the shit out of me, you know. I'm used to seeing Paddy Kenny in the net, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so anything like that, you know, when it comes to goalkeepers, I'm a traditional man, I'm more traditional than Aggie. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting sight to see, but you know what, it's exciting and that's why we watch the game. Absolutely, absolutely. And Kent, we'll stick with you, mate, as we move on to our next subject. We spoke last week about pre-season coming thick and fast. And between recording this one and recording our last episode, you've been to two Sheffield United pre-season games. So as they prepare for the return, you went last night, didn't you? Or did you just watch it last night? No, see, last night it might have been a bit of a struggle because we were playing in Lisbon in Portugal. So. Oh, right. Well, well, how you said it earlier, you made out you went, so ignore me <laughs> on that. But anyway... Yeah, you did a bit, yeah. Ah, sorry. The implication was that you were in attendance, ah, so uh, maybe not. So, Well, you've been to a Sheffield United game. They have played a game in Lisbon since that as well. So give us the update on Sheffield United as they plan their return to the top division. And also, some very good news. 
um, or rumours, I suppose, around the, uh, the, I don't even know how to word it, but the potential state of a star player. Hmm. Yeah, bless him. Uh, it looks like Elliman and Jai is, is potentially going to be staying now, which is really exciting news. Um, a few weeks ago or, or, or last week when we went to watch the pre-season friendly of uh, uh, Chesterfield against Sheffield Wednesday, um, the news broke from Fabrizio Romano, who we rely on a lot of transfer news these days, um, was that he, he'd agreed personal terms with Marseille. It looks as though that we've dug our heels in, which, to be fair, in the past few years, we've we've done that really well. Um, we've said this is the, the the fee that you need to pay, and Marseille, unfortunately, haven't wanted to pay it. Since then, they've signed Pierre Eric Eric Aubameyang uh, from Chelsea, so it looks as though he's going to fit into that that um, striker slot rather than uh, young star boy Lemon and Jai, and it looks like he may potentially stay at the lane for another year at least. Fingers crossed we can get a new contract over the line as well. But you know, all in good time. If he just stays for this season, I'll be uh, I'll be quite happy with that. And uh, and a new contract would just be the cherry on the cake, I think, at that point in time. Um, but but no, last night was a bit of a um, strange performance. We we, we kind of didn't put the foot on the gas, as it were. Um, but you know what? We we looked pretty solid at the back. Didn't really look like conceding many chances. Um, and the new signing, Silliman, um, Anis Silliman in centre midfield, it looks like a really, really good signing. Um, third signing we've made so far, Benny Traore. Uh, he, he's come through for a £4 million fee uh, from Switzerland, I believe it was. And then we've had Yasser Larusi, formerly of Liverpool's Youth Academy, coming in at left-back, putting a pretty decent shift at left-back last night. Um, looks like a really strong, powerful player. And then, like I say, in Anis Slimane, Sliman, I think you pronounce his name, I'll get better throughout the season, um, played, played pretty well last night and hit the woodwork, actually, as well. So... Looks really positive for us, to be fair. But um, I'm I, I'm looking at the fixtures now, and Palace looks fairly winnable. You know, you look at Nottingham Forest away and think, oh, that'll be a bit tasty. We might be able to get something from there. Um, and then you see Manchester City just creeping over the horizon, and you think, oh shit, <laughs> this shit just got real. So um, yeah, but I'm sure Illiman and Giles uh, will, will have a good go at breaking down City's new signing, Josco Guardiola, uh, and we'll hopefully be, uh, be be getting three points from there as well. But Dawson, more on City and, and Guardiola more than sort of Sheffield United. Uh, we've we've talked about Rice, we've talked about Timber, we've talked about Onana. Um, in the last sort of 24, 48 hours, Josco Guardiola has been confirmed to have signed for Man City as well. So massive, massive signing for them. And I think it's going to break the uh, world record for a defender. So what do you think to that? Yeah, I didn't want to talk about it, mate. So thank you for that. I know. Well, you uh, know, we've got to be impartial. Got to be impartial. Yeah, that's very true, mate. I can only really say it as the strongest gets stronger. He's an absolutely phenomenal talent. He's probably, as it stands, the sort of leading young defender in, in world football. Phenomenal for Croatia in the World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, if there's one team that you do not want him going to, it's Manchester City. And, and like you said, it looks like Man City are about to set a new world record for a defender. Um, and he's going there, so yeah. And how crazy is it going to be that they're going to set the world record for probably one of the best young defenders in the world, and he's probably not even going to get in their first team for a bit? I mean, that's mental. Surely he will, but yeah, like you said, he, he does have the ability it? to play left back. After, after the end of last season, after City's defensive record at the end of last season, how 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 can it? How can it? And you've got Stones and Akanji playing as well as he did. Ake coming into his own unbelievably well. Um You've got Cancelo to come back to City. You might end up staying. Carl Walker's still there. No, he's not staying. He's not staying. Yeah, but you you say that, but he's he's not going to Bayern on a permanent. We know that. So 
who else is going to have the money and the funds to to pay for that sort of player? I'm I, not I, sure. I, There's been a bust of aren't they? Well, there has, but you look yeah. at it and you think he's gone away for a bit. He's gone to buy, and he's he's going to come on, come back and have that conversation with Pep. I'm not saying he's 100 percent going to stay, but imagine if he does. How ridiculous is that mm. going to be? I still think he ends up starting myself. Him, him and him and Ruben Diaz, I think, will be their their centre back pairing. John Stones <clears throat> has almost made his bed in midfield. Um, so I don't think he'd be, yeah, I don't think he'd be an issue um, missing out on, on a defensive spot. Right back's questionable. Kyle Walker's obviously recently is he is he confirmed to go to Bayern? Um, is that no, not yet? Not, not confirmed, confirmed yeah. but but pretty much on his way. So that obviously there's a slight fallback that needs filling. I know there was link with uh, Benjamin Pavard of, uh, of France fame, yeah. but yeah, obviously left back uh, like you say, Kanji slash uh, Ake. They they kind of. Covered that quite well, that slot. But so what they've been doing is they've been playing that three at the back, haven't they? And then they've yeah. been playing Rodri and Stones in them sort of inverted winger sort of sent CDM spots. So if you look at Akanji, Diaz and Ake on the on the back of the performances at the end of the last season, who the hell I don't do you think take it matters? I think you take Ake, but does it really matter? You you bring in a player of that level, you you don't not start him, do you? I don't think Pep will be too concerned about what happened last season. They won the treble, so yeah, where's he's got to be there, hasn't he? Well, he's, yeah, but he's got to be though. Hasn't it's he? a great like, problem to have. Yeah, oh, it's great. But you, if you if you win a treble and and your defenders perform really well, then you, you're going to walk into the dressing room and say, right, okay, I know you won as a treble or you helped win as a treble last season, but unfortunately, you can fuck off because this boy's here now. It's like you, you can't do it. Football, so. mate, innit? But they can. Yeah, right, but he's got no reason to do it, though, has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, he's got it, no reason to do it. That's the thing. Yeah, but I'm by your sure. but by your logic though, there's also no reason to sign him, is there? Let's be fair, they're in. Well, though there is because there is because you're strengthening the squad, aren't you? The thing is, yeah, but you won't pay, you won't pay, you won't, you won't break a world record fee for a defender just to well, strengthen squad. I, I'm not saying they're never going to play in. I'm not saying he's going to be sat on the bench forever. But what I'm saying is, is that they performed so well last season at the back, and the defensive record was so solid that you bring in the most expensive defender ever in the world uh, into your squad. And You've missed no out guarantee. Laporte as well. And there's no yeah, guarantee that he true. starts. Laporte as well, it's crazy. It's blowing my fucking mind. Tell you what, Kemp, tell you what, I'll go 20 quid with you that um, injury injury is void bet, but I'll go 20 quid with you that he starts day uh, first game in the Premier League. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Right. And I'll take it for yeah. one very specific reason, is that what? it's quite often that you see when signings come in that they don't start the first game. I remember Robin Van Persie when he first went to Man United started on the bench. There's been quite a few occasions where they've not started, so I'll take that. All right, twenty quid. There you go. It's 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 noted. Um, Sam, I'm going to come to you very quickly. I know you've not had too much to say about Derby's pre-season, but I do want to discuss one thing and uh, what we mentioned a few weeks back when we went round the room. And if you can sign one player or one position, what would it be? And you said striker. They need that out and out goal scorer to really help them push on as the League One favourites. And a name that you've been linked with over the last sort of 24, 48 hours. I know it's a discussion you've had at times with Tina in the, in our group chat. Is Jordan Rhodes now? I just want to put a couple of stats to you because he is known for being a goal scorer and then get your thoughts on if that signing goes through, what you think he can do for the team. So between 2009 and 2016 for Huddersfield and Blackburn, he scored 156 goals in 283 games. It was those years that really put him on the map, scoring or averaging a goal every other game. Uh, Since then, since 2016, he's played 212 games, scoring 38 goals. So he's gone in wow. those seven years, averaging a goal every other game, uh, to the seven years since, averaging, well, about a goal every five and a bit games. So, wow. 
not the player that he once was when he really put himself on the map, but at League One level, you know, does that name excite you as the man that's going to spearhead your your sort of quest to become League One champions? No, definitely not the word exciting. Um, necessity, I'd say yes. I, I do think Wolves crying out for a striker. Um, so I, I'm I'm definitely there's quite a few Dolphins fans that aren't happy with this signing. Let's let's just put that out there. Quite probably the majority of I'd say of the Derby fans think it's a pretty poor signing uh, for the reason you've mentioned is is dropped off over the last five years his goal scoring form's pretty shoddy but his saving grace is that it is dropping a division it's not like we're, we're, we're in a championship and he's going to be in this, playing the same level he's not he's going to be playing the likes of Forest Green and, and you know all them and, and I think someone like him it probably will do him good dropping down a level I, I don't it's def- definitely not excite me I still think we need another striker because We've got James Collins. I mean, you you lot had the the um, the you know he was lucky enough to see James Collins play for Derby uh, at Chesterfield today, and he missed a penalty in for four minutes. He did score a lovely header. I will say he did score a lovely header with a, a cross from um, oh, I forgot his name now. Um, Joe Joe Ward, I think his name is new new uh, new winger. We've got tasty little looks. Got him from Peterborough, I think. He's a twenty seven year old. He's probably looks the best signing we've made so far. To be honest, him and him and Sonny Bradley. Which and again another fantastic sign in um, Luton's Luton's captain that took him to the Premier League. So we have made some great signings. Um, we just need to kind of get out of this habit now where we're signing old players. We had to do it last year because we had a, had restrictions and we had to sign the likes of David McGoldrick, and he just turned out to be a fucking phenomenal signing. He got us roughly what twenty five goals last year. He's gone to Notts yeah. County now, so it's a massive loss. His, his technical ability, not just goals, was just a different level for that league. Um, and we don't seem to replace that, I don't think. So I do think we're going to be a little bit toothless uh, probably within the first, I'd say, at least five games, I think we're going to take some getting used to. And if you look at the squad again, we've almost rebuilt again. So it's going to be another season where, you know, the first couple of games just easing into it. Can we just grind results out by hook or by crook? And then once we start getting our feet, we can uh, we can look towards... I mean, we're favourites for the league, for fuck's sake. So it's not even a matter of just see what we can do and, and set it shit. We, we should be right up there this year. And, and the amount of signings and the amount of players we've let go, and we just we just need a bit more consistency. And my personal choice, because we just uh, we've let go of uh, Jason Knight, Got two million from Bristol City from him, so that's a tidy fee for a League One club. And obviously, with the situation we've been in, I would have absolutely loved nothing more than to just go and give that, even if it costs two million, to go and get a Johnson Clark Harris or you know someone from Peterborough. Just what well, I, I can't see Peterborough not accepting two million for for Johnson Clark Harris when he was, I think, he's got a year left on his contract. He's been linked with you know leaving for probably past eighteen months. So. For me, that would have been man movers uh, if I was the Derby owner and, and go for him. But Jordan Rhodes, not a not a sexy signing, not an exciting signing, but neither were David McGoldrick. So let's uh, let's see, let's see. Well, based on that, I'll uh, I'll not put you down as having him as League One top scorer when we uh, do mm. our predictions in a couple of weeks' time. But maybe they'll bring someone in that you'll be uh, more likely to put on that list. Maybe, maybe. Maybe so. And last on the the football section and our team updates, again, I'm going to come to you, mate, to talk about Chesterfield. As Sam mentioned there, in attendance for the friendly between Chesterfield and Derby last night at time of recording, it was a 1-0 defeat. But uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen in pre-season? You've been to a couple of the games against teams in higher divisions. Uh, and also, I suppose, your thoughts on the signing of Will Grigg, who's similar to what Sam mentioned there with Jordan Rose, is a, a veteran striker who many years ago was quite prolific 
but has now dropped down to a, a, a level where hopefully they can sort of get back to uh, some form that they've once been in. So what are your thoughts on Towns pre-season and the signing of Will Griggs so far? I think so far it's been quite a good pre-season. We've faced, you know, sides a division and two divisions below. We've now faced the Premier League Championship and League One side. We've got a League Two side and Accrington Stanley left to play and then we're done with the pre-season. And I think the performances that we've put in against the sides and divisions above, I'm very happy with. I think we've really taken the game to some of those sides. I mean, Derby County was a game of two halves. The first half, we seemed poor. We were giving possession away way too easy. We didn't seem very composed on the ball. The second half, we seemed much more lively, much more up for it. Disappointed that we conceded the goal at the time when we were in the ascendancy, but sometimes that happens in football and we've just got to start, we say it every time, pumping the ball into the box. We've got tall players in there, even from corners. We're taking short corners. And we got yesterday against Derby, we'd got three or four of the tallest players on the pitch and we were playing short corners instead of putting the ball into the box. The first time we put a corner into the box, Quigley had a header and it forced Derby to clear it off the line. So it obviously works, aiming for the tall players. We've now got a striker that is tall and he's going to be in the National League, let's be fair, he's going to be clinical in Will Grigg. I mean, against Derby, against Sheffield United, against Sheffield Wednesday, didn't see too much from him that really, you know, sparked any sort of excitement in the signing. But... Their team's in the Premier League, the Championship and League One, and he's not at that level anymore. He's already proven that from his goal-scoring record on the last couple of years. So in the National League, I think he'll be phenomenal, but we've got to start creating those chances and putting the ball into the box instead of pissing about with it on the edge of the box because it's just not going to work for us and teams are going to just sit back, allow that pressure to come, hit us on the counter. And I think defensively, with a young goalkeeper, I think he's about 18 now, 19 maybe, and we saw through pre-season, is prone to errors, as all young goalkeepers are. I think we're likely to concede goals that are going to prove pivotal in the season. And unless we're taking these chances and really creating them, we're going to uh, probably struggle to finish top of the league. That's my thoughts anyway so far. Kemp, you look like you wanted to say something there. No, yeah, nothing nothing to do with Chesterfield whatsoever. It actually couldn't be further away from Chesterfield if you uh, if you you didn't try no, it's not. It's, it's on the way there, though. It's on the okay. way. Um, I, I thought we might potentially just sneak in a tiny little conversation about our good friends in Saudi Arabia because it's been announced in the past 24 hours that not only is Riyad Mahrez going to Saudi Arabia, but so is Jordan Henderson. And I just wondered if that's something that you wanted to talk about or if you just wanted to stick to... Chesterfield. <laughs> uh, well, we had a discussion about it the other week, didn't we? last week. Did we talk about, about, about thoughts, specific, these two specifics? Definitely, no, definitely, Hendo, definitely Jordan Henderson, we did. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah because it was rumoured where it's £700,000 a week, Mares going for around £35 million. other players as well, like Alex, Alex Tellers from United for about it, seven. Yeah, the reason I say it is because my opinion before, obviously, was, you know what, if all these old retired guys, they want to go over and do whatever, that's fine. What right have we got to have all the best players in the world? But over the past sort of week, two weeks, with more players that have been going over there, my opinion's starting to shift a little bit into the into the territory that, OK, these might potentially be a new player. In the sense that, not Jordan Henderson, he's fucking wank. He's one of the worst footballers I've ever seen at Bramall Lane, but that's a different story. But with, with a player like Riyad Mahrez, who was so effective for City in so many important moments last year, going across to Saudi Arabia at the age of 32. So it's still a couple of good years left in him. I just think that's a massive, massive shift in gears. And I think if we see someone like Bernardo Silva go or somebody else like that, that's you know even, even closer to the peak of their powers, um, I, I think it's going to be even more, not concerning, but 
even more questionable in in how powerful Saudi Arabia are going to be in world football going forward. I were think not, it's an interesting talking point. Were there not rumours around Mitrovic going as well? Did they not? Did someone not put an offer? Mitrovic uh, shuts his toys out. Yeah. Be, take it down. The man yeah. that's putting a stop so, to that. Mitrovic has thrown his toys well out the pram, bless him, because a Saudi Arabian team have come in for him, offered a fee of around 40 mil, I think it is. There, thereabouts. And our boy TK, our man, what's he doing? Fucking Wembley in fucking August, bless his heart. It's, it, bollocks the size of grapefruits. Uh, it's turned around to him and not only said no, um, but basically said uh, something about, I don't want to I don't want to misquote the, the great man, but paraphrasing. Have you got it? it. Yeah, Dawson's well, got it. He's he, saved me. He says but something. But they've rejected like... the offer. They've rejected the offer and they've told him to fuck off. And Mitrovic is like throwing his toys out. And Tony Combs responded by saying, this Dawson. <laughs> He's responded by saying, when you've got enough, enough money, you can get away with anything, including murder. But we are not interested in selling our top players. Twenty-four. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> Twenty-four hours later, a Saudi Arabian club has put in a two-year, forty million pound deal for Fulham's manager. So uh, a little bit easier to get managed. I don't even players. know that. Yeah, that's yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. That's today. <laughs> two years. Not for his manager. For his manager. <laughs> so the war is on. Oh my God! TK These are the real Monday that with was. Everyone. He's starting wars with everyone. Oh, bless his heart. I love him. I love him. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 I suppose with, with the time changes, opinions will change. Like Sam said, if if they really bring on a prime blockbuster signing, you'll that will get you back up and think, oh shit, yeah, it's time to pay attention. But they're trying to throw the the money and the muscle about. They they want to make a they want to make a statement. They want to build a league. But like I said last week. Players will go, but if each team ends up with three, four, maybe even five decent players, they're still going to have 10, 15, 20 players that aren't at a level that you want to spend your time watching, are they? So is it really, as a, from a fan perspective, going to make that much of a difference? How long is it going to take, know. though? How long is it going to take? You've got Mares going over there now, all these players that are that are going over there, and you're going to end up with two or three teams that have got more, more good players that we recognise than players that we don't. And you compare them to sort of bottom-end Premier League teams and... Where's the differential? So it's going to be interesting. It certainly is. It certainly is. But that is for that's everything for football this week. Will there be transfers between now and next week? Who knows? I'm sure plenty will happen. The rumour mill is starting to heat up again. But um, yeah, two weeks from now, we will be doing our predictions. And lads, then it will be time to start reviewing actual weekend action again. I'm looking yes. forward to it. But Sam closes off on the football. Yeah, I was just going to say, just I want to give a shout out to the uh, the Women's World Cup. Where I, I, I can't lie, I've got we've got no intention of covering it on, on loaded sport. Uh, we're not we're not being sexist or anything like that. It's just um, watching a World Cup. It takes some times. The games are like we were talking earlier about the time difference. Just about to say morning. that. Yeah, I was just about to say watching a World Cup. It takes some serious dedication, and some of the times just aren't feasible. So I do apologise, ladies, but we're well aware that that there is a World Cup going on. It's just we won't be covering much on it on uh, on loaded sport. And it's not just that, but it's it's the fact that we want to do it justice if we're going to do it. If we're going to talk about something on Loaded Sport, we want to be able to do it justice, have our ducks in a row and be able to actually contribute to the conversation rather than just detracting from it. So I think we'll all agree that our knowledge on women's football isn't where it could be or should be if we're going to discuss something like the Women's World Cup. So we'll probably talk about scores you know, every week and how England are getting on especially. Uh, but in terms of in-depth coverage, unfortunately, Loaded Sport aren't going to carry that uh, carry that torch this season um, or this tournament. So we'll uh, we'll go from there. Get back in fucking kitchen.
<laughs> and we're off there. <laughs> Kemp, take us through the latest in Kemp's comeback corner. It's all right, mate. We're, we're, for the second time in about. I wish it. Uh, I, I, I wish. Cancelled. I'm sorry. Before, so, um... before we do get into it, it's such a shame that the viewers can only see who's talking because if you could see Adam's face right now, uh, if Adam, <laughs> if you can stay there for just one second, so I can put in the preview. What did Sam say this week that left Adam like this? Um, <laughs> that should get the people going. But, uh, Kev, boxing, UFC, what's happening? Yeah, what, would you, what, what would you expect from Ag the Ally apart from absolute shame on Sam there? Shame on him. Um, but, yeah, we'll move forward swiftly into Kempi's combat corner where hopefully we won't get cancelled uh, this week, but uh, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to touch on boxing very, very quickly to start with because there is a little bit of boxing this weekend but it's not something that we really need to discuss that much. It's not really a mainstream fight, um, and only real, true, uh, hardcore fight fans will probably be interested. But we've got George Cambosis Jr. Um, against Maxi Hughes, um, both lightweight contenders, both hoping to prove their worth at world level. Um, it's, it's taking place on Saturday, with the main card starting at 10pm Eastern, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning in the UK. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's on Sky Sports perhaps this weekend, but again, the coverage has not been massive for it, um, and I can't quite see it, that changing anytime soon, but up until sort of early 2021, Maxi Hughes was really considered a, um, a decent, you know, a, a decent domestic level fighter on the British scene, but he's a couple of, you know, convincing wins since then. Um, and he's really elevated himself potentially up to world level. Um, and there's no stiffer test, in my opinion, or fewer stiffer tests in the lightweight division than George Cambosis Jr. So it's going to be a very interesting battle, going to be a very interesting fight. I think George Cambosis Jr. will just have too much for Maxi Hughes. But again, it's a real, real good opportunity for a British fighter um, to get the job hopefully done. We talk about British fighting, we talk about the British fighters, and we can't talk about that without talking about this weekend in UFC London. It's back at the O2 Arena. The last time it was at the O2 Arena, I was in uh, in, in the arena myself, in person, watching the fights take place um, and watching Leon Edwards... Uh, yeah, Leon Edwards uh, retain his UFC welterweight championship of the world against the Nigerian nightmare, Kamaru Usman. Um, it returns to the O2 Arena this week on the brand newly named channel TNT Sports, which has replaced BT Sport. It's Tom Aspinall against Marcin Tybora. Uh, Tom Aspinall, a huge favourite in this fight. Again, coming off a loss, um, I believe it was against Curtis Blades. Um, so he'll be really wanting to get back in the win column on his home turf. Um, in London, England this weekend with Molly McCann returning as well against Julija Stolarenko. I think I've, I've pronounced that right, but if I have butchered it, please uh, please do let me know and I'm sure you will. But Molly McCann also looking to get back in the win column. Um, suffered a very, very devastating defeat last time out against Erin Blanchfield, a real good uh, contender in the uh, in the flyweight division. So I'm sure the meatball will be looking to get back on the gravy train again. Um Nathaniel Wood and Andre Feely uh, make up the card, as well as Paul Craig against Andre Muniz and Jai Herbert, Faris Saim and Leron Murphy against Josh Culebeo. So uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting night of fights. I'm going to be watching it myself. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I love it when the UFC comes back to London and, and back in Blighty. And fingers crossed the one after this, we get a real big pay-per-view show like we did last time out. So it's going to be a real, real good night of fights. And if you are watching the fights this weekend, please let us know in the Discord, the Facebook chat, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it might be. 
um, who you think is going to win and what you think the outcome is going to be. Sticking with the UFC very, very briefly, um, Dana White has announced that Islam Makachev will be fighting against Charles Oliveira in a rematch for the UFC Lightweight Championship of the World, and that will take place at UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. Every single year, um, the UFC does return to Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi was great to, to the UFC in the pandemic times. Far Island, on Yaz Island, as you'll probably remember, the, the, the UFC had an entire island that they locked down um, and, and made it so that they could get around the COVID protocols and uh, and get fights on, and they absolutely did that um, in the... Um, in, in the pandemic times, at the start of the pandemic, when things were really bleak. Um, you've also got Hamzat Shemaev fighting against Paulo Costa in a 185-pound division, and what a blockbuster fight that's going to be. They do not like each other. Paulo Costa with his secret juice and Hamzat Shemaev smashing people all over the place. That's going to be an absolutely fantastic barn burner of a fight, um, as I like to say in Kempi's Combat Corner, and we are looking forward to that. Also announced today in the boxing world, we've got Chris Eubank Jr. fighting Liam Smith for the second time. And Sam, I want to bring you in here because when these two last fought and squared off, we were together. We were at a sports bar in Newcastle when Chris, wow. uh, Chris Eubank wow. Jr. and Liam Smith fought for the first time. Um, and we watched that fight and we were, we were all stunned. Um, as to the result, Chris, uh, Chris Eubank Jr. going down to a TKO against Liam Smith, I believe it was in the fourth round. Yeah, um, battered him, didn't he? Battered him. Upset him, upset him big time, yeah. So on that performance last time, what, what you can remember of it, can Ooh. you see this? Can you see Ooh. this one going any other way? I know it's difficult to wear the when we watched it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, as you say, <laughs> Newcastle, I think January, uh, middle of a stag do. A little bit hazy, I must admit that night was, but I do I do remember being very surprised, and I think it. And then again, I could be wrong on this, but I think he controlled pretty much the whole the whole fight. I think for the, for the all four rounds before he, he TKO'd him, I think he looked like he was going to be the one. If anyone was going to get the win, it would be him. And yeah, yeah, it, it were brilliant again from what I do remember, which which it was quite a limited one, but. Yeah, um, I, I've got no reason to, to think otherwise again. What about you? Yeah, um, you're absolutely spot on. I think at the start of that fight, I think a lot of people, including myself, probably thought Eubank Jr. was going to win the fight, just have a little bit too much for Liam Smith. Um, but like you say, as soon as that fight started, I, 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 literally 30 seconds, a minute into the fight, um, I thought Liam Smith was going to win. Um, I know it's moving the chair across more often than Dawson at that point, but when you've got the fight in front of your eyes and you can see it taking place in front of you, you've got to go with what you can see. And, and my eyes didn't deceive me. Liam Smith absolutely beat the brakes off Chris Eubank in that fight. And uh, and unless Chris Eubank Jr. changes something drastic for the next fight, I can't see it going any differently. So it's another fantastic fight we've got coming up this year. In the ter in terms of boxing, lads, we've got Fury versus Ngarni, which is a bit of a freak show, but let's be honest, I'm going to tune in to see it. And, and you boys probably are too, or a few of you are anyway. We've got Joshua against Dillian White too, which is going to be unbelievable. Usyk Dubois, which is going to be a, a, a really good fight for probably the purest more than anybody else. But Usyk's going to put in a really good performance there and I can't wait to see it. And even if he doesn't, and Dubois beats him, that's another British world champion. So what we got to lose there? Um, and then we've got Chris Eubank Jr. rematching Liam Smith. So it's all going off in boxing. And finally, lads, it looks as though... Oh, and by the way, Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence next weekend. How the fuck did I forget that? So, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's some fantastic fights coming up in the next few months. So, uh, really looking forward to it, lads. Boxing is back, as Rio Ferdinand said about Manchester United once upon a time. <laughs> Ollie's at the wheel. You mentioned there about 
the, the fights that are coming up. But I just want to bring to your attention something that you may have seen or at least get your opinion on it and a fight that may not now be happening, but not in boxing, in UFC. Uh, Ariel Helwani uh, tweeted at half three this morning, so in the early hours, uh, that it's not quite official. I'm reading my phone, by the way, so bear with me if I'm, I'm not looking at the screen, but it's not quite official, but pretty close at this point that Dracus Duplassie will not be able to fight Israel Adesanya at UFC 293 on September 9th in Sydney. He was banged up going into the Robert Whittaker fight, and that turnaround is just too soon, I'm told. If that ends up being the case and Israel Adesanya stays on the card, which is his desire, it'll be Adesanya versus Sean Strickland for the middleweight title on 9th of September. So viewers can't see it, but Kemp put his head in his hands at the first part of that and now has his head in his hands, uh, heads plural, head in his hands again at the second point. Now, I can't tell if he's laughing at pure joy or crying in pure disbelief of what he's going to be made to watch. So, Kemp, clearly it's news to you, mate, but tell us your thoughts. Before, before Kemp tells us thoughts, it's absolutely criminal that he can't record the uh, the off-speaker because that was pure drama from Kemp. Oh, I, I was fascinated. My face saw so many emotions there. I'm sure it probably did. <laughs> it did. Jesus Christ. Well, I, I didn't see that coming. I thought Drikus Duplessis would be fighting Israel Adesanya in uh, in Australia. and Is it Australia or New Zealand, that card? Yeah, Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. I am a little bit surprised at that. It's, it was Duplessis' opportunity to really, you know, it's his title opportunity. You know, you take it with both hands. But do you know what? When that does come around, you want to be in 100% shape. So I, I'm not surprised that Duplessis will be pulling out of that. Knowing Israel Adesanya, the type of champion that he is and how committed he is to, to, to defending his belt, it doesn't surprise me that he's going to be taking another fight. Sean Strickland. So... If you boys don't know anything about Sean Strickland... Nothing whatsoever. I would advise you go to his Twitter page, and I'm not saying anything else. The guy guy is absolutely fucking bananas. He's (laughs) mad as a box of frogs. And Sean Strickland, bless his heart, he's a a decent fighter, really well-rounded, but against Israel Adesanya, he's going to get absolutely torn to bits in about two minutes. So um, it'll be a really interesting fight because Sean Strickland is a, a crazy wild motherfucker, uh, but I can't see it being that competitive. And I, I'm, I'm really surprised he's getting the shot. But having said that, the alternative is Robert Whitaker, which would be ama- an amazing fight with Robert Whitaker in Australia. But how much do people want to see that for a third time rather than Sean Strickland on that card? And I'm sure Whitaker will be on that card anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that decision may potentially be made, but... In terms of a competitive fight, boys, I'm sure that unfortunately that's not what it's going to be, in my opinion. But uh, but we'll see. But thanks for breaking that news, Dawson. Like you say, it's a big shame that you couldn't see my reaction there because I didn't see that one coming. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, what a treat for it'll see to have been able to see that. Um, we're going to move on to tennis next very quickly. I know we didn't cover Wimbledon through the tournament or make predictions that we made a brief mention of it last week. But uh, Sam, I'm going to bring you, you in for this one, mate. Uh, the Wimbledon finals have now done. Uh, and finish for the year. I watched the men's final or, or the majority of it alongside the darts and Carlos Alcaraz, uh, 20 years old, world number one at 19, winning his second major, beating considered the GOAT by many people, Novak Djokovic, three sets to two after the dominant first set by Novak Djokovic where he led 5 uh, five 5-0 before winning the set 6-1. I mean, if a star wasn't already born, by being the world number one at 19 years old and already winning a major, 
it is, there certainly is one now. But Sam, you caught a little bit of the semi-final. I'm not sure how much of the final you caught, but you, you, we mentioned when we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago how much of a fan you were of tennis back in the day and how much you watched. From what you've seen of Alcaraz, where do you put that kind of talent you know, right. <clears throat> I personally put it right up there in terms of when Nadal first burst on the scene. And I mean, Nadal was 16, so he was, he was a bit a bit younger than himself. But yeah, it's that sort of player. It's such a high standard. Um, it reminds me of a mini Djokovic actually on how he plays. He, he just does not give up the point. And they were quite. I did. I did watch a little bit of the final. Probably half a set's worth, maybe. So a drop in the ocean in grand, grand scheme of things. But yeah, just some of the points that he was fighting for, uh, especially when it was off serve and it was Djokovic's serve and and points that 99 players out of the 100 would be happy just to concede the point and try and hold serve in the next next game um, he wasn't he was fighting tooth and nail every single point he wasn't letting go it was from it was tram line to tram line side to side just tr- trying to keep that ball in play and, and Djokovic was rattled you could clearly see that he just wasn't kind of used to that sort of a, aggression and high tempo from a player and it was just like watching a mirror. It must have been like in watching a mirror. Just it was that sort of player. That's how Djokovic has always been. That that aggressive player doesn't give up, chases down every ball. And yeah, it was it was a joy to watch. I'll be honest, it's the first time I've really seen him in action, which is poor from me to say he's the world number one. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like the it looks like the future of tennis is in great hands with him. Um, obviously, our boy Mudge would probably be a little bit better here to give shed us a bit more light on this particular subject. But yeah, it, 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 some of the um, his forehand and backhand is just absolutely flawless. And yeah, the, the, the future of tennis is definitely exciting because obviously the loss of the big four, um, I, I corrected you on Nadal not being, yeah. a, being at Wimbledon. I was wrong. It wasn't at Wimbledon at all. It, I, I don't know where I'd seen it was, but it, it wasn't. You was right all along. So Nadal is pretty much on the cusp of retiring himself. Obviously, Federer has gone. For me, he's, he's the GOAT, not uh, not Djokovic. Even if Djokovic <laughs> wins more, more silverware, I just... Something about watching both players side by side. I just always loved uh, loved uh, the old FedEx, but yeah, and obviously Andy Murray. He's uh, I mean, he's still knocking about, but he's nowhere near the player that he was back in 2013. So the big four's gone, bar Djokovic. Um, and yeah, it's it's just nice to know that there is there is these upcoming stars that I would personally put right in amongst their level of talent, you know, given five years or so, I think he could be there or thereabouts in a particular sort of mould of, of Novak Djokovic. Yeah, and his, his shot style as well is just beautiful. I'd seen the odd clip of him, like there was a shot um, against Novak Djokovic, I think at the French Open on clay, but if you've seen it where he kind of ran back to the byline and just how he turned and whipped it past Novak Djokovic. It was, it's one of the best tennis shots I've ever seen for a singular tennis shot. Yeah. Um, and naturally, you know, you watch a little bit, you see a few clips and then the algorithm hits and you start seeing a little bit more. So I've seen a few compilations like his drop shot. Didn't see drop too shot. Much, I, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the drop shot. I was just about to say his drop shot is one of the best in the game. And it like say is already 1920 and, and it's phenomenal. It's, it's nice to see. It's quite refreshing to see players being aggressive and going up to the net. It's, it's something that's kind of phased out over these last couple of years. And I, it's always one of my favourite parts of a good rally where you know they're pressing on you, they're, they're taking taking the initiative and, and and actually a rally itself. You don't see many rallies these days on on a tennis a tennis match. It's um it's either you know an ace or or you know failed to return the serve and, and the points over. But yeah, with him, him and Djokovic, there are plenty of rallies to be seen. And yeah, it's um it's in a good spot I think with uh, with him up and coming. Yeah, definitely. You spoke about plenty of points and things like that. I think the defining game in the final was 
the fifth game of the third set. It was 1-1 in sets at that point and uh, Alcaraz was going into it 3-1 up. It was a 28-minute long game as they went. Wow. Yeah, they got to juice and then constant advantages and winning it back. But yeah, one game taking uh, 28 minutes. Huge. Alcaraz to then win that to go 4-1 up in the third set um, and then went on to win that set 6-1, obviously 2-1 up and then and then won Wimbledon. So, yeah, that for me was the defining uh, game in that 28 minutes. Like I said, not giving up both players, just just giving it absolutely everything, left everything on the court. And I, I'll be honest, I wasn't actually planning on watching the men's final. I was watching the darts, uh, had it on my phone, and then with it being on BBC, I thought, oh, I'll stick it on. I'm not watching the telly. I can have it on and have half an eye on both. And, and actually, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I mean, see a player of that level, at 19, 20 years old, like how much is he going to have won? Assuming he stays injury free, you know, by the time he hits even 30, you see the the ages that some of these players are playing to now, how many major titles is he going to win by the time he hits 30? You know, based on what we've seen already, it's it's going to be quite a lot. So yeah, what a player and, and a well-deserved win. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. Absolutely. Ken, it's time for cricket, mate. Um, fourth test has started at Old Trafford in Manchester our good friend Tina will be attending day five and based on what we've seen in the first two days it has already started at time of recording he should be in for a treat I'm sure um, a great England bowling performance bowled Australia out for 317 they came into today two with two wickets remaining England got them out in the first half hour of the day and they've gone all out attack for the rest of the day ending day two on 384 for four led by an absolutely phenomenal first innings by Zach Crawley hitting 189 from 182 balls it's very rare that you'll see a player score that many runs in a test match with a strike rate of over 100, let alone close to it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely phenomenal from him. For me, I think it'll be a case of England will stay aggressive in the morning. They've got Harry Brook and Ben Stokes in at the crease. Now, I think they'll stay aggressive in the morning, try and get around 200, 250 runs ahead for lunch, declare, and then obviously attack that last, what, two and a half days, um, get Australia out, leave themselves hopefully around well, if they can get a 250 lead, you know, around 100, 150, maybe 200 runs to chase on day five, and it should turn into a good end to the series. However, rain is on the horizon, so that, for me, is is what Australia will be praying for over the weekend. But, Kev, we've spoke many times over the last couple of weeks about this series, changing your mindset on Test cricket. You've watched quite a bit of the, the first two days of the the fourth test, Australia 2-1 up, England in a great position to make it 2-2, weather depending. What are your thoughts on the fourth test so far? It's the England that we were all hoping to see throughout the entire series. Um, I think the first, you know, you talk about Basball coming into the series and everybody's getting really excited and, you know, we're going to take it to them. We're going to be a whitewash. We're going to absolutely batter them. Um, and then you start getting brought back down to reality and think, actually, this is an Australia side. Um, you know, there's a, Australia are always bringing you for the Ashes. You know, they're always, in my opinion, the favourites because of the recent history of the Ashes and, and the fact that we've not been able to win it for um, a decent amount of time, uh, consistently anyway. But you know what? This is exactly what I wanted to see from this England team and they've delivered it so far in the fourth test. Um, what can you say about Zach Crawley? 189 runs from 182 balls, uh, 103.85 strike rate, it, 21 fours, three sixes. The guy's blown me away. Absolutely blown me away today. It's a shame that he couldn't get 200. 
uh, that would have been very, very nice and a nice little feather in his cap that he'd have never forgot. But you know what? He'll never forget that anyway because what an unbelievable score and, and, and what a day it's been for him and for the England team. And like you say, tomorrow morning... We've got Ben Stokes in it, but at the crease, so that's that's always going to be exciting, and and you're sure that Stokes is going to get a few runs and uh, and aggressively get us well past that 400 runs mark. So you're hoping for an aggressive start in the morning, like you say, you're hoping that we'll be in a position to declare by lunch, uh, and then hopefully we can get out a, a new ball and, um, and and get a couple of wickets early on, really put the pressure on the Australians and get this fourth test uh, wrapped up. Um, as soon as we can and uh, and take it to uh, to the fifth test and hopefully get this one. So, Test cricket again, as just mentioned earlier, has completely done a complete U-turn on Test cricket. Absolutely in love with it, and uh, and, and I can't wait for tomorrow because it's going to uh, it's going to throw up some uh, some real good moments. I'm sure. Absolutely, Ben Stokes. I think we'll be wake up in the morning ready to play some 2020, uh, 2020 style cricket um, to, oh, to get that win started. IPL so. baby, IPL baby. Should be a good one, Aggie. Formula One is back this weekend, mate. We're off to Budapest in Hungary. We've got Red Bull upgrades. We've got the return of Daniel Ricciardo. We've got the hopeful follow-up of McLaren's fantastic performance at Silverstone and many, many other headlines. So aside from the fact that you're no doubt going to predict Max wins yet again, what are your thoughts and predictions going into this weekend? Mate, I'm excited. I said last weekend or the weekend before, even before McLaren's upgrades came into effect, that it was going to be a very different sort of race. You know, Lando and Piastri could actually start to maybe put a little bit of pressure on the top sides. They did, and thankfully so. This weekend, we get to see a completely new approach to qualifying. In the past, we've seen, of course, your three qualifying sessions. We've seen changes in the rules. Um, Whatever the fastest lap you set in the second, uh, uh, second session, if you qualify for the third session, you end up on those uh, tyres to start the race. This time round, um, for each session you're in, you must start on a different tyre. So if you uh, make it through all three sessions, you must have used soft, medium and hard tyres. So it makes a very different approach and hopefully we'll get to see uh, a mix-up in uh, where teams are going to be starting. And maybe not necessarily Max Verstappen starting on pole position. As you also said there, yes, we've got Red Bull upgrades, which is, I think is two-tenths quicker than what they've been before, which I think will benefit Checo more than it will benefit anybody else on the grid because he needs the pace to be able to keep up with Max Verstappen. Max just doesn't need the pace at all because he's already too far ahead of everybody and it's a one-man game at the moment. Um, so it'd be interesting to see just how Checo really adapts to those sort of changes that the car's made. I mean, if it's worked in Max's favour before those upgrades, maybe the upgrades have lost a little bit for him, and hopefully so, and it gives McLaren a little bit more of an edge to uh, be a bit more competitive. Um, and the last one, of course, the uh, the return of Daniel Ricciardo, the most charismatic man to be on a Formula 1 grid in the entire time that I've been watching the sport. I'm so glad that he's back on the grid. Um, I think Christian Horner said earlier this week that they've got Max and Checo this year. They're going to have them both next year. But Daniel Ricciardo is hopeful that he'll be back in a Red Bull seat by 2025. So it's either Max that's going to be retiring. He says he's going to retire at the end of his contract. Or it's going to be Perez that's let go in 2025. So it's a nice little battle for a seat there for, for two years. And if he can perform in the Alpha Tauri, I mean, absolutely, why not see Daniel Ricciardo back in Red Bull? He's raced alongside Max Verstappen before. And as a Red Bull fan, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to see them two battling it out again. Oh, absolutely, mate. Yeah, images that have lived on since they split up, like the the incident in Baku in Azerbaijan, 
They're two competitive drivers, the winning Monaco for Ricardo and all these kind of things. Yeah, I was absolutely gutted when they moved on from him or he, he decided to move to McLaren. Um, so, yeah, if that is sort of the long-term plan, I'm all for it. Um, not, don't really understand it from a perspective of, well, why not just keep him if that's what you're going to end up doing again? But, you know, ultimately, if you've got Max and Ricardo as your two drivers, how can you not be happy with that? So, yeah, that's I'm, I'm just happy to see him back on the grid. He's a great talent. He's a great driver. He's a great personality as well. I think we spoke about the, the growth in America and how that might dwindle a little bit with how the, the races have lacked competitiveness. He's the kind of player that you need on the track. He engages fans. He brings in fans. Um, you know, you see him, he's done like Jimmy Fallon show and all this kind of stuff as well. So he's a great face for the sport as they continue to improve the success that they've had from a business perspective over the last uh, few weeks. But Sam, you've got more involved with the F1 conversations over the last few weeks. I had quite a bit to say about Lando Norris's performance at Silverstone. Do you, do you think you'll be uh, have half an eye on, on the race in Hungary? Or is it a, a bit of home city or home country pride because it was in Great Britain? Yeah, Silverstone, isn't it? It's one of them iconic moments on the, the F1 and even British calendars, really. So... Uh, that was more the reason why I thought I'd just uh, tune in last week, but um, all the week before, whenever it was. Um, Sunday, no. I believe there will be darts on Sunday. Sunday um, night will be the final, but we'll save that. Yeah, no, save that. But I also think the women are on in the in the daytime, and I think I'll be, yeah, Adam shaking his head. Yep, because it's Saturday. It's Saturday, is it? Yeah. I thought, is it just all on one day, the women's? Right, go again. The women's football the Dar- World Cup. Darts. Oh, the darts, women's darts. Mate. Sorry. Carry on. I, was, so, yeah, I thought you were talking about the World Cup. Cook. Ignore what Aggie's just said. So I, I think the women's darts are on Sunday as well. So I'll probably keep an half an eye on that. Um, but yeah, we'll save that for the next segment. But yeah, probably not. Probably not Not watch it this, uh, this weekend. That's fair, mate. That's absolutely fair. But go on then, Adam. Third, second, first. Who's taking the podium spots? Um, for the race, I'm going to say Lando and Piastri in second and third, and I'm going to say Max to take the win. That's you all in on McLaren having a big follow-up, yeah? Yeah. I, I said when uh, Lando had his upgrades that they were huge, and then what we did at Silverstone with both him and Piastri I think was incredible. If it weren't for the safety car, I think Piastri could have easily got third place and we could have had second and third there, but the safety car kind of screwed us over a little bit, and Lewis Hamilton managed to take third. That's absolutely fair. Sam, do you want to make a prediction, mate? <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, Max wins shock horror. I think that all oh, that's a given for everyone. Um, and I'm going to say, uh, I'm only going to make one prediction: is Lando to make the podium again. I like it. it. Just a quick question for you, Aggie. Actually, regarding the uh, you mentioned the Red Bull upgrades, and I know I've said that in the in the intro as well. Um, Perez, despite sitting second in the overall championship. Hasn't really impressed. He's missed. He's, he's failed to get out of a couple of Q3s. Should we expect to see him right back up there? Maybe not necessarily beating Max, but giving him a bit more of a competitive race and, and really dominating that podium for Red Bull now the upgrades are in? Yeah, he started the season really well, to be fair. I think the reason why he's second is because of his start to the season. It's more recent that he's kind of taken that little drop-off. And I know over the last couple of races he was complaining about being ill and feeling nauseous so maybe that's led to it in some areas but in general not being able to go out of Q3 when your teammates hitting pole position and winning from it every single week is really 
unarguable, isn't he? You've got to be getting doing better than that. Q3 is just not good enough. So he really needs to kind of come back with it. And these upgrades are a prime reason now for him to do that. He's got no excuses. It's right. You, you've got this extra two tenths now. It, it's really make or break for you. And if I'm honest, I know owners said that they've got Perez for next season as well. But if he can't keep up the pace with Max and maybe even doesn't even... If he's not to finish top three in the Drivers' Championship at the end of this season, I could see them bidding him off before his contract's up and maybe bringing in Daniel Ricciardo. If he impresses at Alphatari, why not? Yeah, definitely. I'll give you my prediction. It is Max wins because why change it at this point? I think Lewis gets second, and I do actually see Sergio Perez returning to the podium and getting that third spot. So, uh, yeah. By the way, don't think I'm daft. I know what you're doing. Every week, you're slowly fucking dragging me into this F1 chat, just trying to get me a bit more into it every week. I'm not fucking daft, mate. I'm not daft. Before we know it, mate, you'll be downloading the game. and uh, don't <laughs> It's coming, this isn't it? This year. Yeah, it's exactly. coming. You can, you can see the course. It's plotting. It's plotting its son. Absolutely. And to bring the man back in before we all get stuck into the darts to close off the show, Kemp, we need to start looking at when we uh, preview these big golf tournaments because we save it for the week that it's on and then round one's already come and gone for the most part. But the Open Championship, considered by most to be the most prestigious tournament on the golfing calendar, maybe some of that is down to the fact that it is over here. But um, in Liverpool this weekend, day one has come and gone, round one has come and gone, and there is a three-way tie at the top of the leaderboard as Tommy Fleetwood, Emilio Grillo, Emiliano Grillo and an amateur, Ken, in Christo Lamprecht, the South African, who's about six foot eight tall, all tied at the top on five under after round one. Um, I did put in the uh, in the Discord my predictions. I had uh, Dustin Johnson and Colin Marikawa as my two picks. They've both started absolutely terribly. So that's gone out of the window after day one. Um, who, before the tournament started, did you have your eye on as someone that could start? Was it a Rory McIlroy after his success at the Scottish Open? And who, after round one, do you think will go into the weekend with the best possible chance of winning? No, I'm in a position now with Rory McIlroy, unfortunately, where I'll never back him to win a major again. Um, it, it gets to the point where once bitten, twice shy. I think with Rory McIlroy, once bitten, you know, well, nine times bitten, tenth time shy. Um, it gets to this to the stage where he does okay for the first few rounds, and then on the last day, throws it away. Um, and and to be fair. He's not even started well. Um, I think he's on. I know he's over par, um, or he might be on level par. But but either way, he's he's not started particularly well, um, and I don't think he'll uh, he'll make a comeback for this one either. So yeah, I'm I'm not backing Rory McIlroy. He is over par. He oh no, he's not. He's he's level par um, through the first eighteen. He's tied thirty second, so he's not out of it yet. But on on recent form in in the major tournaments and when it matters, unfortunately, um, I'm uh, I'm I'm not confident. Um, I'm also not confident in the pre-tournament pick that I potentially thought about. Uh, Ricky Fowler was the one that I was looking at potentially to uh, to have a good run at this one. Um, okay. And he's he started one over par, so uh, he's he's a little bit off the pace. Um, if he has a good second round, then it could potentially get himself in the in the running. Um, but he needs to start making ground up, and he needs to start making that ground up pretty quickly. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 fantastic to see Tommy Fleetwood at the top, and like you say, uh, Lamprecht, um, another amateur doing it for 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 the amateurs on the scene at five under. Uh, what an unbelievable first round he's had. But you, you do tend to find with these amateurs that start really well, 
Um, unfortunately, as the tournament does go on, that fatigue sets in a little bit. The pressure sort of starts kicking in, not being in that position many times before, and they do tend to fade away. So while it would be a fairy tale story, um, I, I can hopefully see Tommy Fleetwood staying up there um, and doing a little bit as well. So uh, fingers crossed Tommy Fleetwood keeps up the momentum and, and takes it to the end. Um, but there's a long, long way to go. Three games of golf left to play um, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. But early tea times in the morning. I've got a tea time at 6.45 on Saturday morning myself. So I'm looking forward to that one uh, and, and some fantastic and uh, hopefully drama-filled golf along the way. But like you say, the Open for me, most prestigious tournament in uh, in, in golf. Um, the most prestigious when it's played at St Andrews because St Andrews obviously is the home of golf. But uh, I think when it's uh, when it's over in the UK, even at Royal Liverpool, where I actually went to go and see the Open a few years ago, um, it's uh, it's prestigious and special nonetheless. And I'm sure it'll be special for the winner who will come away with a cool 16 and a half million. So, uh, Adam, I ask you every single time we talk about a golf major, um, are you going to sort of get your clubs out and start cracking on so that next time you can hopefully win that 16 and a half million pound prize pot? Yes, mate, I'm going on Sunday. Oh yeah, where are you going? Balber again. Oh, very nice. I thought it went to open. I thought, fuck me, save that for weekend, chap. In it, yeah. No, mate, Who are you going with? To, uh, my sister, yeah. Sticking to uh, oh, the, nice. the basics to begin with, just trying to get used to it all and a bit better at yes, the basics mate. before I... Uh, go oh, mate, course. I've been playing three years now and I still can't do basics. It's going to take <laughs> a bit of time, but uh, yeah. But yeah, no, have a good round, mate. And hopefully uh, Tommy Fleetwood and the rest, Rory McIlroy will hopefully... Uh, come back and have a good round also. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the weekend. Absolutely. Well, I mentioned there that our pre-tournament went with uh, DJ and Morikawa, and you mentioned that Ricky Fowler was the man spearheading your predictions with the benefit of having round one in the books. Who are you putting your name to now? Difficult to look past Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, obviously, he's a five-under. He started really, really well, but... You mentioned earlier when we were talking about the cricket um, that the rain looks like it may be incoming this weekend um, and that changes the game, especially when you play in Lynx golf. It's not the uh, the easiest of conditions to play under. So it's going to be difficult. Um, it's, it, like I say, it is difficult to see past Fleetwood. But I think if I was going to back anybody else, it would be Max Homer. I like it, mate. I like it. I will. Um, I'll stick with one of the players that made my shortlist. Originally, I had, I had four players, and then I narrowed it down to just two. I thought I don't want to chuck every name out there. That's Jordan Spieth. A uh, little bit of form. He, he's won majors in the past. He's currently two under, so a relatively decent day one, and, and plenty of time to push up the leaderboard. So, with having round one in the books, I'll, I'll put my name to Jordan Spieth. I think that's what you want from from your first round of golf. I think you want to get in, settle the nerves, finish under par. Um, and, and just get to know the golf course a little bit. I think if you start like Tommy Fleetwood as your five under after day one, you can start feeling, you know, players breathing down your neck and start feeling that pressure. But if you, if you flex. start, oh, flex, uh, John Fleck, um, you, you start feeling that that pressure on the back of your neck, uh, and you start see, uh, see people burning sort of uh, sort of holes in the back of your head. So uh, yeah. It's, it's a good position to be in under par and hopefully uh, it can continue the momentum Max Homer and uh, my second pick can be the one that uh, the one that comes in absolutely mate and we in episode 59 will review and you can react to the winner um, of the last major of the year but lads let's all get stuck back in now as we close the show with darts the world match play at the Winter Gardens in Blackpool 
Um, Joe Cullen at time of recording has just become the first player to reach the semi-finals, beating Daryl Gurney 16-11. We all made our predictions last week. Sam and Kemp going with Michael Van Gerwen for their predictions. Me and Aggie going for Luke Humphreys. And then I took Gary Anderson. Aggie took um, Dirk Van Vordenberner. Bijan. Do we even that's it, Vivian Bowder, Vivian Bowder. Sam took Johnny Clayton and Kemp took I can't remember now. Um, Chizzy. Chizzy, Chizzy, that was it, that was it, Chizzy. But lads, um, Sam, you're still on the dark horse. Kemp, you were out day one on both, I think. Um, Aggie, you couldn't lose having your dark horse and winner playing in the round of 16, uh, and I'm out on the round of 16. But as we are now in the quarterfinals, lads, the top four in seeds are out. Michael Smith, Michael Van Gerwen, Gerwin Price and Peter Wright are all out at the quarterfinal stage. I don't think too many people would have predicted that. And it does leave Luke Humphreys as now the book is favourite. So at the point of uh, predicted him, he was fifth favourite to win at about five, 12 or 14 to one. Um, so yeah, it's really is a, an open field with the bookmakers now. But Sam, I'm going to come to you first because you are sort of the newest darts fan. We spoke a little bit, we've been together at work today. We spoke a little bit about the tournament. Talk to us about the world match play and your experience of these last few days watching it. Yeah, before I uh, before I dive into all that, this is a little bit awkward, isn't it? So Sky have currently got the. Um, I mean, I've got a blur. Bear in mind your blur on, yeah. Yeah, I've just realised. Uh, let me try and get rid of that. So Sky's advert for the quarterfinals today is this. Oh wow! So Michael all, it? Michael Smith, uh, Peter Wright, Jesse. And in the blue, you just can't see him there. Michael Van Gerwen is creeping there. And all four of them are out. So that's their advert. That's their advert for um for the quarterfinals. None of them are even playing in it. So just a little little <laughs> funny thing I thought I'd show you there. Uh, unbelievable match play, hey? Um first, it's probably the best tournament I've watched so far, um, in terms of darts. Obviously, I've I've watched from January onwards. So obviously I missed the I missed the world's um, I, I watched pretty much all of the World Cup, which was okay. Um, doubles formats, not quite as good, I don't think, as the just out and out singles going head to head. And, and yeah, this match play has just been fantastic. It's been it's been almost like a World Cup of football where it's your group stages and there's games after game every day. You've got darts to watch, and and some of the games have just been absolutely brilliant. Um, I think the best two days so far have probably been Tuesday and Wednesday for me. Um, Tuesday, obviously, Michael Smith went out on the on the last game of the night to Chris Doby, my my old boy. Uh, by the way, I don't think anyone anyone watched that, did they, about me? Because I kept messaging in the chat and I weren't really getting any responses from it. No, I I can't remember what I was doing uh, that night, but no, I, that's pretty much the only game I've not seen. Chris Doby was playing out of his skin. I have never seen him play that that good. And it, Michael Smith started to come back, and he found that that quick rhythm that we've spoken about often. And you think, oh, here we go. Is I don't think Doby. And he did. He just he just he held firm and stood out. I think he was four four one down Doby at the, going. You know, at, at the start the of the game, break, every five legs. Yeah, in the, the first break, he was four one down. And it just looked like Michael Smith had come out up the hot hand. He would just could have missed, and then something happened, and Doby just something. Michael Smith didn't particularly play bad. It was just Dovid, something twi- twi- twigged in his head and he just went off on one and yeah, fair play to him. Uh, and then obviously last night we was all watching it and um, 
Luke Humphrey and uh, Dirk Van Dyven Bode just had the the weirdest head to head you've ever seen. Oh, what a mean, bit of everything other than a nine darter. We nearly got a nine darter. We were yeah. close to getting a nine darter. Uh, Dirk was uh, three darts away from from completing that, but. Yeah, it was it was a very strange game. Neither of them seemed to like the double finishing. Um but yeah, very entertaining to watch nonetheless. Yeah, I've loved it all. Loved it, loved every every match so far. I've been I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, brother. I said to you in the office today that I think the Worlds is the best tournament, you know, because it is the Worlds and you know, it's over Christmas when you're off, so you're just chilling and you're watching darts, but you know, there is some poor calibre in there, whereas the world match play is top 32. Anyone can beat anyone at any point. It's a week long. You know, you've been used to the Premier League where it's only every Thursday. You know, yeah. it's intense. It's rapid. Like you said earlier, it's like the World Cup where it's just games constantly. Like Sunday was absolutely brilliant, just chilling in the afternoon and, and then in the evening. But yeah, it's been a brilliant tournament so far. But Kemp, I'm going to come to you just on the subject there that I mentioned of the uh, top 32 players in the world. It's a tournament that Phil Taylor dominated for years, considered by many for, for obvious reasons, the greatest player to ever play uh, the game of darts. And, and for you, you've said is that one of the greatest sportsmen of all times in terms of how they dominated their sports. But Phil Taylor won, played in 17 world match play finals and won 16 of them, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you get the, it really is. If you get the Wikipedia page of world match play and just look at the finals list, it, it's just crazy. To, like it, It's mental to process how many times his name pops up. But I mentioned there about 32 players. Anyone can beat anyone. And I really think this year we, we have seen that. Does that really, does this tournament really show the quality of darts that there are now and the depth of player and, and how far along the game of darts has come? Whereas before it was your Phil Taylors and maybe one, two or three others that could potentially push him and beat him. Whereas now you go into a, a week-long tournament with 32 players and, and really... There's not really anyone that you would say would be an outright shock if they win. Yes and no. I partially agree. I partially don't. You've got to remember that you had Raymond Van Barneveld. You had Eric Bristow. You had these players. They were still very, very good darts players when Phil Taylor was around. Um, he was just dom- he was just dominant of them, of them all. Um, I, I think, like I've said before, Phil Taylor is one of the best, if not if not the best sports people in terms of domination in their sport ever. And you look at the Wikipedia page, not only is it the 16 match play titles, it's the two BDO titles and this 14 PDC titles. So, you know, um, I think, yes, there are more players of an elite level these days in terms of the overall amount of players that can kind of compete. But there's still some really, really good players in Phil Taylor's era as well. And let's not let's not get that twisted. But it's, for me, the most underrated tournament in darts. Um, I think the match play is, is up there with the World Championship, if not on the level pegging. The reason I say that is because I enjoy the Premier League format. It's great. They do the tour and stuff like that. But you go from one extreme to the other. The Premier League's over a, a quite a few weeks. I think it's sort of 20 weeks or 17 weeks the Premier League's over. You've got the World Championships, which is over in a matter of a couple of days. Whereas the match play, over a fair few, over about a week's time, you've got quite a few games that you've got to play. You've got to get through the first round, second round, and then there's you know all the eliminators and stuff like that. Five and games a, you've got to win if you want to win the tournament. And it's a real, real cutthroat, you know, um, you've got to be at the top of your game every single time to get through to, to to the finals, semi-finals. And you've seen that with the top four favourites being out. So I think the match play goes really under the radar in terms of tournaments in darts that that, that, that people watch. Um, and I would implore people, if they've not already seen match play darts, to get on there and get watching this weekend because it's, it's one of my favourite formats. And I've not watched as much as I, I would have hoped 
been a little bit busy this week, but do you know what? I'm going to make a point of the next few days watching some games um, and really getting into it. Because like I said, I think it's one of the most underrated tournaments in darts, if not in, if not in sports. Seen a, seen an interesting stat on on Phil Taylor's um, world match play career the the other day early early today should I say and as Dawson mentioned how dominant he was he had a he had a hundred average in one hundred and seven matches um, and he was he averaged under fifteen darts a leg for ten years that was his average Jesus wow. and, but, and no matter and no matter who you play and this is why I, I stick my flag in in the Phil Taylor camp as much as I possibly can not only is my favourite darts player of all time. But you look at those statistics and say it doesn't matter who you play. It doesn't matter who's playing against Stick you. Stick him in now. You ain't fucking beating that. You no, ain't yeah. fucking beating that. So under fifteen, under fifteen per leg Ridiculous. for ten as a, years. As an average, not as a average, best, as an average, average for ten years. That's so ridiculous. The vast That's majority true. of top level darts players don't even get that. They barely get that ever. Yeah. So for that to be an average is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Aggie, I'm going to come to you, mate. Um, Doby versus Aspinall, which should be an absolute cracker, is about to start soon. So we'll we'll get wrapped up so we can all get settled in. Because, Kemp, if you want to watch the rest of the tournament, what a great place to start. But you, alongside myself, are, are, are in a position where you can say you've predicted the winner. You went for Luke Humphries. I saw your face. Sam opened up the predictions and went with Humphries as a dark horse. And I saw the smirk on your face, which in my head made me think this prick's gone for Humphries as well. <laughs> but... He had a, he probably had the best first round performance in his dominant win in round one. Very scrappy win in the second round against your dark horse. So he's had sort of both of the the kind of wins that you need to win a tournament. Is he living? I say it's a pretty obvious question, but is he living up to being your pick as the tournament winner? And do you think that with a dominant win and a scrappy win, he's showing all the signs of finally getting that big win that he's been so close to getting over the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. We said last week that he got a bit of a chip on his shoulder from missing out on the World Cup and missing out on the Premier League. And I think he's proven exactly why he should have been included in both of those competitions. Because, yes, he, he got a scrappy win, as you call it, yesterday. But you've got to look at some of the, the darts that uh, DVD was throwing. It was incredible that he he, he didn't finish um, Humphreys off. I think he went 3-0 up, didn't he? Then Humphreys brought it back. And then it started going from there, just both of them back and forth for quite a while. So... Yeah, it was a scrappy win, but only in terms of the scoreline. I think the darts that both of them were playing was phenomenal. I think uh, Dirk van Dwevenboyd, I think it's pronounced something along those lines. Who's a Dwevenboder? Dwevenboder. There you go. Dwevenboder. Um, Dirk van Dwebyboy. <laughs> <laughs> I always butcher the pronunciations. Um, no, I thought he gave a very good account of himself. Um, he's been in, what was it, in the last five tournaments, he won three and reached the final in the other two. So. He's been in a bit of form. And he I did, think... he did. But let's be fair, them last probably three, four legs, he absolutely bottled oh, it. Yeah, his, his oh, he did. He did, yeah. He, he probably lost that game as much as Humphreys won it, to be yeah. fair. He should, all things considered, won it. That last leg especially, he just you could just tell he was just... They were just throwing him away, yeah. We're yeah. looking, yeah. essentially, we were just throwing him away. And uh, yeah, even uh, Humphreys said uh, in the interview afterwards, he was saying he was surprised uh, that Dirk lost his head. That, yeah. that, that late in the game because that's something he's never normally done. So yeah, he definitely lost his head in that last couple of last couple of legs. And obviously, it's worked in Humphrey's favour. Even still, the darts that were playing up until that point. It, I mean, what was it at one point? Twenty-five treble nineteen ball finish. That's outrageous yeah. to even consider. Yeah, so, that's unbelievable. 
yeah, them sort of finishes don't come about. I think he got a 170 finish in there as well, didn't he, at some point? So I thought he played some lovely stuff. And Big I think fish, baby. Big fish. There you go. Just got over the line. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's tough, uh, faced some tough competition, and I don't think that's going to change when he comes up against, I can't quite remember who it is, that he's playing on uh, on Friday. It's Damon Hatter. Damon, well, that's going to be a tough game within itself. That's a taste of that. Like that's a taste of game. Huge so, yeah. 11-1 win against Brendan Dolan, who knocked Michael Van Gerwen out. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is what I mean, like, they're all tough games. But we'll, we'll do what we always do. Aspinall has just gone 1-0 up, just so you lads know as a quick update. But we'll, we'll give everyone the benefit of balls deep in, into the tournament now and the potential or the chance to change your um, predictions for the winner. So, Ken, Sam, you both went to Michael Van Gerwen, so I'll give you a second to uh, think about who you're going to put your name to for the rest of the tournament. Don't need a second, Aggie, that's fair, but Aggie, you went for Luke Humphreys. Are you going to change that now or have you no reason to at this point? I've no reason to. You know me, mate. I'll stay by him until the very end, so I'm sticking with Humphreys to, uh, to win it all, although I do like how uh, Joe Cullen's playing at the moment. Yeah, he as I mentioned last week, he was right up until about half an hour before the uh, show started. He was my dark horse pick, and then I changed it sixty six to one. Thought it was phenomenal value, and he's playing really well. Like I said, the first person to be uh, to book his place in the semis. Um, I for once, I'm not going to move, lads. I've uh, I've I've got a great record. I'm four for four or three for three so far this year on pre-tournament picks. Um, so I don't want to move now. I think there's some great talent. There's not really anyone that I wouldn't like to see win, but yeah, I'll stick with Luke Humphreys because what I said or my thoughts behind backing him before, he's backed up so far this week, so I'll stick with him. But Kemp, who have you got now? Michael Van Gerwen has gone out. Who are you putting your name to for the rest of the tournament? Are you three for three on pre-moving chairs? Or <laughs> no, pre-tournament picks. Pre-tournament pick, okay. Smith in the world, Thornton in the seniors, and Van Gerwen in the Premier League. All pre-tournament picks. No, Van Gerwen's on no questionable. No pre-tournament don't, don't picks. Don't fucking wash your hands. Oh, it doesn't matter. Pre-tournament picks. You could not <clears> argue <throat> that. That is a fact. You changed it. You sort it. of can't because you changed your mind. But it doesn't matter. In the tournament. Okay, okay. Oh, so, okay, okay. tournament right, okay, pick. Okay. So what I'm going to do then Outrageous. is I'm going to say Awful. Uh, I'm going to pick Damon Hetter. Oh, no, sorry. No, change my mind. Luke Humphreys. Oh, no, no, sorry, I've changed my mind, I've changed my mind. I'm going to go Ryan Sale. Okay. Oh, shit, no, I've changed my mind, sorry, Johnny Clayton. Okay. There you go. Okay, well, just so you know, mate, pre-tournament, you picked Michael Van Gerwen and he's out, so get well, just on so, that Just one. so you know, mate, you picked three different ones pre-tournament and you change your <laughs> mind every time and now you claim it. It's uh, all right, no, I'm not changed it, I'm, the... I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. Stop doing your fucking jazz hands, you still <laughs> fucking changed it. I'm washing my hands with it. Hey, grommet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, all seriousness, I'm going Johnny Clayton as my pick. Okay, so Johnny Clayton was Sam's dark horse at the start of the tournament. And Sam mentioned a minute ago that he doesn't need a second to think who he is putting his name to. So, Sam, yep. are you putting that dark horse into your winner's selection yep. or are you taking someone else from the pool? There we go. Talk us Certain, through it. Certainly I'm. Johnny Clayton, he was my dark horse, which I found crazy because obviously I, I, think I, I did obviously change it from Humphreys. I didn't quite know he was about second or third favourite at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I scrambled and turned out Johnny Clayton was seventh favourite going into the tournament. So I think every which right I agree pick, is, is a surprise, all things considered. Definitely, he's, he's always on the circuit. Is in amongst the Premier League players. You know, he plays the best week in, week out. So to say his seventh favourite, I thought was outrageous. So yeah, he gets promoted from a dark horse to now my favourite to win the tournament. Um, he's playing. Oh, I'm not sure. I've got you, mate. He's playing your man, Ryan Searle. 
Of course he is. Oh, yes, of course, Ryan Searle. Um, yeah, less said about him, the better. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He played quite well, actually, in that uh, that last game, to be fair to him. Um, but no, Johnny Clayton is is my my tip. I'm going to stand by my dark horse. Um, is it, it, it was absolutely class actually in his in his last outing. So yeah, no reason to no reason to wave now. Absolutely, and uh, based on the tournament brackets, lads, assuming that Clayton and Humphreys win their quarterfinal games, they'll face each other in the semi. So it will be two v two, as it usually is in loaded sport for a place in the final. But I'll, I'll be honest and just put it out there. If Humphreys doesn't come, uh, doesn't win from that side, I, I would love one of the three from the other side that are remaining, Cullen, Doby or Aspinall to win. I think it would be, be great. Doby's already won a big tournament this year uh, and Aspinall and Cullen as well, uh, I think are, are due that really big TV win, Aspinall especially. So to be honest, like I said earlier, there's not really anybody from that final eight that I think, well, you know, that's a shit win because it's going to be someone new. As I said, we're getting new finalists. We're getting a new winner. It's already guaranteed already. So I think it would be great to see. But uh, yeah, Sam, especially, I'm, I'm really glad that you've uh, you've enjoyed this tournament. The Grand Prix, Grand Slam, sorry, is next. And I believe, Kemp, I don't know if you know off the top of, the, of, of your head, but I'm pretty sure the Grand Slam of Darts is the tournament that is double in, double out. No, so that'll be something. I don't, I don't think it is. I think that's the Grand Prix. Grand Prix. Uh, I said Grand yeah. Prix, and I was like, is it Grand Slam? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it's the Grand yeah. Prix double in. Yeah, that, that'll that be uh, something even mm. newer for you. It will, definitely. Look forward to that. And then before we know it, it'll be the Worlds again, and uh, you get to put your feet up over Christmas and watch it. Yeah, and I'll yeah, be honest, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. those early rounds can be a little bit of a struggle to get to, to get through, but obviously it is the world, so it's uh, it's all good in the end. But lads, that's everything. That's episode 58. That's football, cricket, golf, F1 darts and tennis it's all happening here I, I still don't know why we were worried about what we were going to talk about when uh, when the football season was done but we're just a couple of weeks away from uh, the football league and the, and the national league kicking off three weeks away from the premier league and lads i'll be honest we're we're less than a month away from some nfl pre-season starting as well so yeah, we've got it all to come so enjoy next week it'll probably be short and simple because the action and the heat is really going to start picking up in the next two weeks and moving forward on Loaded Sport as we approach one year of doing this podcast. Who, who can believe it uh, when we started this back in November? But uh, as always, we'll close on the weekends. Kemp, you've already uh, gave us a little bit of a teaser with some golf plan this weekend. What else have you got going on? That's about it, to be honest with you. Bit of golf, um, bit of Sunday dinner on Sunday. And, uh, what, me? I don't know yet. I'm not sure. What, you recently, if, you got a, recently if, you, if you were going to have Aldi after this, you've got to pick. Well, recently we've been having chicken. Yeah. And a nice little, nice little joint of chicken. You can get it where it's like. Um, bag. Like, no, 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 no. It's like in a foil tray. And it's okay. Already seasoned for you and ready to go. That, that, yeah, that's what I mean. It bag, yeah. No, it's not in a bag though. Oh, the ones I get are that are in a tray that are already seasoned. It's in a bag and you just put it in the oven and then you cut the oh, top no, of the bag off for the last ten minutes. Oh no, you don't do that. Not with not with the one that I get. Must be oh. must be different. But That's I think it. in summer it's nice to just have a little lighter meat. You don't want dog too heavy. And then when you start getting into sort of the autumn time, NFL your starts and your back pork in a bit out. of red zone. That's when you want your beef, your pork, etc., etc. Yeah. So. So yeah, but that's that's it. Just just a bit of chill time, played a bit of golf, first time since my holiday. So looking forward to that. What about yourself? Um, I'm about to say not a lot, but we've got a few bits going on, which Sam will, can jump in as well. Uh, tomorrow, it's not weekend started yet. It's during work, but Aggie secured me a spot on local radio 
to uh, discuss the skydive that I'm doing in uh, in just under a month's time. So I appreciate that. Not really sure what to expect. I've uh, naturally been asked if I'm nervous about skydiving. and I've been like, absolutely no, I'm fine. And then I saw that Facebook post earlier and I thought, oh shit, it's real, isn't it? So it did hit me a little bit, to be honest, when I saw that. But in terms of the weekend, not a huge amount. Friday night, just uh, chill, take it steady, watch a film. Saturday, got a uh, kid's birthday party and I'm going to see Oppenheimer um saturday evening so we'll unfortunately miss oh, i'm seeing oppenheimer on friday after friday evening there you go there you That's go something i'm doing there you go and uh sunday will be chilled and then i'll i'll watch the match play final probably uh watch a little bit of the golf and the and formula one as well so that'll be me sunday <laughs> feet up but yeah oppenheimer for me is the uh is the main event and the highlight of the weekend sam is it yours and what else have you got going on yeah make that three of a kind so uh friday friday evening we're going to the odeon IMAX, fucking hell, boys, honestly. IMAX, two tickets, me and KT, two, two uh, Tango Ice Blasts, £51. £51 for two IMAX and two, honestly, Thatcher's Britain if I've ever seen it. Uh, but Saturday, we have got plans to go to the Star and watch the Rogue Embers play, one of our mates' band. Yeah. Um, and I might, uh, might get on dartboard afterwards because I've it's been so long since I've played. I'm watching these uh, these match plays. I've been absolutely crying out for a, for a 501. So, yeah, I think that's my possible plan Saturday. I might not drink. I uh, might just go and just, you know, take in the ambiance of the, uh, yeah, yeah. the Star. Enjoy the vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Sunday, same as you, mate. I'll be just chilling, I reckon, and uh, watching the, the match play finals, which I'm sure will be a treat. And I'm going to catch a bit of the... Um, we didn't mention it on the darts section, obviously. We mentioned it in the F1 section for some reason. I'm watching a bit of the the, the women's uh, darts. Um, it's something I've not yet experienced. And I know, obviously, it's only a very short format. I think it's the top eight women that will play straight into the quarterfinals. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty pretty short format. Um Fallon, Sherrock, and um, that Beau, whatever her name is, who I yeah, think she's, she's world good. world number one at the minute. I think yeah. in the women. So yeah, I'm gonna gonna catch a couple of women's and and see what their their sort of, sort of quality is like myself. But yeah, looking forward to the uh, the men's match play yeah. finals. Well, very good of you, mate, to let them out of the kitchen to play some darts. It's, that's uh, it. That's uh, all you can all... do, mate. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. Yeah. So you can we, do. We, we always you. somehow we end up going full circle from something that happened earlier in the show. It gets closed off right at the end. So, sessions. as always, full circle sessions. But, Aggie, what are your plans, mate? There's F1 this weekend. There's darts this weekend. What else have you got planned around that? Um, I think I'm just going to be chilling on the Saturday. It's my last Saturday before, of course, football season starts. So, I'll be Ooh. back doing commentary a week on Saturday. So, uh, enjoying my last little Saturday off. Probably watching qualifying. Then on Sunday, I'll be uh, watching the Formula One, watching the darts and playing golf. Like it, mate. You did mention Sunday, that is. Not bad, is it? Not bad at all. Be ready for bed. But, lads, uh, just the final update for Doby Aspinall going into the first break. Doby leads 3 2. So let's get logged on. Doby boy. Let's watch the rest of it. It's first to 16, so plenty to watch. But, lads, as always, an absolute pleasure. That's episode 58. It's gone. It's done. Episode Picked 59 off. next week. Picked. And then, uh, before we know it, the season will be back. But uh, enjoy your weekends, lads, and I'll see you again next week. In a bit, boys. Cheers. Ah. Uh...